Good evening. Can we all stand? Why don't you turn to someone around you and tell them it's good to see them here on a Wednesday night.
Yeah. 
that together. Oh, you Jesus. Amen. Would you take about 30 seconds and just lift up your hands if you're a believer and tell the Lord how much you love him, thanking him for his grace, for his mercy, that he is holy and that he has robed us in his righteousness. And now we can approach boldly before the throne based off of what he's done for us. Thank you, Jesus. Could you praise him from your heart? Could you praise him and thank him? Hallelujah. Love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. You don't say, Lord, I need you to show up. No, it don't work that way. God says, you praise me first, and then I'll show up. Right? You don't say to your fireplace, give me heat. The fireplace says, give me wood, and I'll give you heat. God says, you praise me, and I'll show up. How many's on a 30-day challenge with me to make sure every day you give God some praise? Are you with me? Are we together? Are you, are you honoring that? Jesus, I praise you. I feel him right now. I feel the strength of the Holy Spirit in this room right now. I know that God can do more for us than we can ever do for ourselves. Why don't you praise him just one more time and just tell him how good he is. Hallelujah. Not because he needs to know it, but you need to remind yourself, nobody's ever treated me, Lord, like you've treated me. Nobody's ever loved me like you've loved me. Nobody's ever been as patient with me as you have been patient with me. And I sure thank you for it. Amen. Amen. It's good to be in God's house and to fill his presence. Good to be with all of you wonderful folks. You know, a church is one of the few institutions in the world that builds community. You think about that. The church is one of the few institutions in the world that builds community. And we all need to feel like we belong to something. And the church helps us to have that void field because we do belong to something. And that is the church And it's much bigger than any one of us because it is literally worldwide. Hallelujah. And I'm thankful to be a part of something bigger than myself. Amen. 
Why don't you just turn to somebody and say something nice to them like you're glad to see them. I'm happy that you're here. Glad to have you if you're a guest. We welcome you. Honored that you're with us tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. You can be seated. Thank you. Man, when I get in this presence, I just want to entertain him. How many's ever made up a song in the presence of God? Let me see your hand. Yeah, well, for the rest of you who don't know what you're missing, make it up. What do you mean? You just make up your own song. It's just, Father, I love you, Lord. I love you. You've been so good to me. So very good to me. Yeah, you say you have Bible for that? I think so. The Bible talks about singing with hymns and psalms and spiritual songs, letting it flow just out of your spirit. Amen. Well, somebody say praise the Lord. Thank all of you for being in God's house. To all of our guests, we welcome you. And if you are a guest here, you can just take out your mobile device. If you're a guest, first time, second, third time, you can just take out your mobile device and you can text TPCDQ to this number 84576 that'll bring up a screen and then you can give us your information and just submit that to us and we want to just send you a card saying thank you for being in service with us it's a way to stay connected also a way that you can give us your prayer request and we pray for those each and every week so do that for us we would appreciate it also Alliance Youth will be having a Halloween uh, party on October the 30th from 5, I believe that is, uh, 6, sorry, 6 until 9 p.m. at Brother Lonnie and Sister Debbie's home on Old Seal Road. And you guys are going to have just a wonderful time. If our ushers would come, we're going to give all of you a wonderful opportunity to give to the work of the Lord, to God's storehouse. Thank all of you for giving, all of you new believers that are giving. Thank you for your giving. I know when you're not used to giving a tithe or an offerings, you can, you can say, am I doing the right thing? Let me assure you that you are doing the right thing. When you put God first in every area of your life, I promise you that he will show up and prove himself faithful. Can I get a witness from some of you veteran believers that know what pastor's talking about? He will prove himself faithful. And I promise you that every dollar you give to the work of God, it, it, that's what it goes for, is for the furtherance of the kingdom. We are good stewards of every dollar because we know one day we're going to give an account for that. And we want to hear good, faithful, and well done. Amen. This coming Sunday, October the 31st, is the fifth Sunday. So all students will be in the sanctuary. There will be no Sunday school. You say, Pastor, why you do that? For a couple of reasons. One, so our Sunday school teachers can come into church and be in it on a Sunday morning service. And then the next thing is, you know what? You need to raise your kids on a pew. And it's okay. It's okay for them to sit on a pew for a few minutes. That's how they learn, right? You say, oh, mine's bad. Well, take them out and do what you got to do and bring them back in and start all over again. That's just, that's part of church life. All of us parents understand, right? We had to do it. So there you go. There you go. Raise them up in the way they should go. 
They need to hear, Pastor. They need to hear the Word. They need to feel the Spirit. They need to sense the moving of the Spirit. They need to see the power of God in action. So bring them. Let's bring yourself. We're going to have a wonderful Sunday. I look forward to meeting you. Prayer request, Kathy Phillips and family. Sister Kathy Phillips lost her father. Some of you know who she is. And if you will just, uh, even if you don't know who she is, if you will pray for this family during their time of loss, I know that they would appreciate it. As we're getting ready to give, just let me say to uh, Brother A.J. Holloway, we love this man of God. He is probably one one of our favorites. He always brings such a great word. Would you give Brother A.J. Holloway a big hand? Love this man. He wouldn't want me to tell you this, but he's not telling you and I will. This man gets up very early in the morning because I know some of his rhythms and he takes his Bible and he will study his Bible anywhere from four to eight hours a day, literally a day. Being an evangelist, he can do that because he's not a pastor and he don't have the responsibilities of a pastor. But this man is a studier. He is a reader. He is a lifelong learner. And when he comes and brings you this word, I can promise you it ain't something he thought of five minutes ago. It has been in his spirit and he is ready to give it. So, Brother Holloway, I want you to know I love you, respect you, honor you. Always a privilege to have you. Let's pray together. God, what an honor it is to be in your house, to be in your presence, to feel your spirit makes all the difference. And Lord, I just thank you for every gift and every giver. Lord, this is not something that we have to do. It's something that we want to do. We want to sow seeds into the fertile soil of your kingdom because there, we know there's nothing that brings us return like you. And we thank you, God. Bless every gift. Bless every giver. Lord, just allow your freshness, your energy, your spirit, your anointing to rest upon Brother AJ tonight and let all of our hearts be receptive to receive your word. And everybody say amen. God bless you. Thank you for your giving tonight.
virtue of God falling here a moment ago on that second song. Can we lift up our hands? God is truly in this place and I want to revere him right now. I want to elevate him. I want to praise him. So in your own language, in your own tongue, any way you're comfortable, I want you to open up your mouth and I want you just to entertain the presence of God. If you want to mimic, if you don't know how to pray, if you want to mimic the words of that song, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. If that's what you want to say, you are revering him. You're loving on him. God Almighty, Holy God, I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. Oh, God. Praise God. I feel the anointing that only comes through a praying church. Feels like y'all have been praying. Feels like you've been seeking some things. I can feel that in the room. It's obvious you've been, been separating yourselves from some things. I can just feel it in the room. And I'm here to just tell you right now, not knowing a thing, because your pastor told me that the Lord is pleased with you tonight. For the things, whatever you've been doing in the past 20-something days, whatever, I have no idea, whatever you've been doing, I can feel it right now. There's virtue in here. And I'm so thankful for that. So, so thankful for that. Thank you, Jesus. I'm honored to be here with you tonight. If you don't mind, just remain standing for a few more moments. I want to read just one verse. That's all I'm going to read. God woke me up at 6.30 two days ago and the word that I'm going to with the help of God deliver is all I've been able to think about Uh, it's been it's been brewing in my soul for months but the past few days it's just gone into overdrive and I'm going to try uh, to deliver God's heart which seems so impossible at times being a human so I'm going to lean into the spirit that I'm filled with amen 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 40. And I, I want to honor, the Bible tells us, Paul tells us, he says, minister in accordance to the, the grace given unto you. That word grace in Greek means gift. He tells, he says, we've all been gifted to do something. Use that to minister unto the church and to God with. And your pastor and his precious assistant, pastor's wife, uh, you're not just the pastor's wife, you're the assistant pastor, let's face it, Amen. And uh, they have been gifted with true virtue. They're true shepherds. If you don't know that, I really hope that I can give revelation right now. And I'll tell you how I know that. They have never said a thing to me about any of you. I know nothing about any of you. That's because you have a shepherd that protects. I'm always a little uncomfortable when I go somewhere and the shepherd's telling me all kind of stuff about the sheep. Things that I don't need to know. Your shepherd... And the assistant shepherdess here have never said anything. So you know what that tells me? That this is a safe place. 
And I just want to honor him for being a true shepherd in the last hour. They're rare. They're rare. I go to a lot of churches and true shepherds are rare. You are blessed. And pastor, you all are blessed to have them. I'm thankful. I'm so thankful. It's a blessing to be in a healthy place. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 40, it says, Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. He put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. I, I'm intending to minister from a different angle. I know that this passage has probably been worked and preached every which way, and I'm not here to preach a sermon. I just, I've seen some things in this passage I've never seen before. And I really hope to deliver it the way God's delivered it to me. And I want to use the title to try and extract from this text what God showed me. Polished for purpose or dulled by delay. That's really the only two things that I'm seeing in this passage more than anything I've ever seen. We're either polished for the purpose to which God has called us or we're being dulled because God hasn't come back yet. That delay has seemed to dull some. And I really want to pull you onto one side, and that is polished for purpose. That's what I, I really I want to pull you away from the dulling of our society into the preparation that God has designed for you. So if you can just lay your Bibles aside, I've given you what God's laid on my heart. And I'm, I'm not a traditional preacher. I'm not going to hit all the points and preach the way you're supposed to preach and all that stuff. I want to give a rhema word. That's all I want to do. And I've probably given away the whole message just by the title. But I want you to know how to pray. I want you to lift up your hands as a human who has your own will. And say, God, the thing you've given me, my free will, I give that to you by dying right now. Lord, whatever you've designed me to do in this last hour, it is yours, not mine. Use it to your kingdom. Use it for your purpose. So, Lord, the way I'll die right now is I will do what feels uncomfortable. I'll lift up my voice to a God we've never seen. I will wave my hands in preparation of a rapture to a God I've never seen. And, God, I will by faith pray Lord Jesus, I'll lift up my voice. I will pray in another tongue. I will sacrifice, Lord, this flesh and praise you, for I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. God Almighty, I pray that your word go forward tonight and that it minister to each and every one of us, myself included. God, I pray that this word burrow its way into our hearts, myself included. I humble myself unto you and to your sweet bride tonight. In the name of Jesus, anoint all of us tonight. In your precious name, you may be seated. It was approximately around the year 1250 BCE that most scholars would agree that there would be a young military leader who goes by the name of Joshua. He was equipped with a passion for conquering a land that he felt should have been conquered 40 years prior. He would be filled with passion. He would be polished for the very calling that God placed on him. This, this calling would be put on hold because he would be one of 12 that would go into a promised land. And he, full of faith, 
full of hardwiring given to him by God would know this land belongs to us not because we're strong or special, but because God said so. And so what God says, I believe. And yet he would be in the midst of 10 others around him who did not believe that. They did not believe. They were dulled by something while one was polished. And so being hardwired, he would go into this promised land 40 years down the road. He had been waiting. He had been delayed. And now he's going into a promised land. And so you can imagine the passion that he has. This is the land that belonged to us 40 years ago. We're going to finally get it. And he strikes with military prowess, strength and conviction against every inhabitant who dwelled in the land of Canaan. And Joshua 11 gives us some insight into a grand narrative that God was writing. In verse 21 and 22, it says, And at that time Joshua came, and he cut off the Anachim from the mountains, from Hebron, from Devir, from Anah, from all the mountains of Judah, from the mountains of Israel. Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. None of the Anachim were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remained only. There were some that remained, though. You've got to pay attention to this. They remained only in Gaza, in Gath, in Ashdod, a remnant of Anachim who were descendants of Anak. And if you've been reading your Bible, you will know that the Anachim were giants because they're named after their forefather, Anak, who was a giant. They would set up residence within a small village called Gath. They would be purged and pushed out of the land of promise that God said to Joshua he could have. And he does. He pushes them out to the farthest borders. But if you look at a map and you know biblical geography, you will know that Gath was housed right in the middle of the land of Judah. They were sitting in a place, in a called place, a promised place that was not promised to them. Giants were living there, and a remnant remained in a promised land. It seems like nothing major until nearly 300 years begin to pass by, though, where in this very town, the town of Gath, a well-known woman would settle as well. The woman would only be mentioned in the Bible for a short time, and it's in the book of Ruth, a woman whose name was Orpah. And unlike her sister Ruth, who would declare to Naomi, who was one of God's promised people, Naomi would be sitting there and Ruth would be wrapping her arms around her. And he said, may your people be my people and may your God be my God. In that moment in the book of Ruth, there was a conversion that took place. Ruth said, I'm from Moab. Don't cast me out. I will fully commit to your God and I will declare that you are my people and good Israelites called by God pull in people. And that's exactly what they did because God said, don't forget about the foreigners for you were once foreigners yourself in the land of Egypt. And so a wonderful woman named Naomi said, of course. However, Orpah did not do that. Orpah, the Bible said, turned and went back. And she settles in this land, this little village, this place called Gath. And she goes in and she ends up with a man and has five sons. One of those sons would be given the title later of champion. His name goes by Goliath. And history, Jewish history would tell us that Orpah and Ruth were sisters. So that makes Goliath and David cousins. 
The battle that would take place later in history would not just be a giant versus a small ruddy David. This would be a blood issue. This would be an issue of blood because the cry that would go forth from this champion, this Goliath, was anyone who loses will be the slave to the victor. And little did anybody know that God would be born through the line of David and God would not be born through slaves. So something in a bloodline had to be snuffed out. Little did Joshua know that this woman named Orpah would settle in a town called Gath and have amongst her five giants who would later defy the people. What you refuse to cast out now that you think isn't significant. Give it time. Give it time. And it will always come back and show you that that was something that you should have completely annihilated. It's the little foxes that spoil. It's the little things that we think that are unimportant. Joshua probably didn't think a whole lot about a remnant. They're not going to cause a whole lot of problems. But they would go and settle in a little village called Gath. That little village over time would begin to turn into a metropolis where a group of people in a bustling city of Gath would begin to grow up and they would be called the Philistines. Little did we know that as time is washing over the pages of the Bible, we would have a giant Goliath who would go in, through, in and out of the city where he was raised and he would go, Brother Neeland, to a stream. You see, every city in the ancient world was built upon water sources because you could not live without water so they built their cities near water and you what you need to understand about Gath is that it was built upon the river Elah which would be right next to it feeding it life and little baby Goliath would be born in that city called Gath through a woman who refused to call God's people her people and who refused to call God her God this would be living in a promised land this is what would be defying God's people later on. It didn't seem like a big deal. They would come and defy them later. But give it time. Giants grow up. Giants don't look as intimidating when they're babies, but giants will ultimately, according to the Bible, swell up to be nine foot, six inches tall, wearing one ton worth of weight of armor, standing and defying God's people. Give it time. Just give it time. And little baby Goliath would grow up and he would go and visit the stream of Elah and he would play in it as a little boy. And I can't help but imagine, Brother Neelan, that even Goliath would go and he would see stones collecting within that stream. And he would pick them up and he would find smooth stones and he would skip them across the top of the water as children do. Little did he know that he would meet his very cousin, born of the same bloodline as him in years to come. And still yet more time would wash over the page as Gath would become home to the thriving economy of people famously called the Philistines. Little Little did Joshua know that the people they didn't completely conquer in the past would come back and fight them 400 years later. Give it time. 400 years later. I mention all of this history not with the intention of drawing your focus to Joshua. I'm not intending to tell you about Orpah or even Goliath, even though they make up pivotal characters within this narrative. There is an unseen character within this narrative that I cannot help but pay attention to. A character that we all should relate to. This character existed from Joshua 11 all the way to 1 Samuel. A time span of 400 plus years. While Goliath was growing, 
This character was being trimmed. Unnamed but crucial. Small and yet imperative. No beauty but powerful. The character of which I speak are mentioned in my opening text. Five smooth stones from the brook is that unknown little character that I have never paid enough attention to. I always look at the giant that's growing. I always look at the David that is growing. I look at the Orpah. I look at the Ruth. But there were five small, smooth stones that were being eroded during that 400 time span. While Joshua left a remnant of giants in the city of Gath, God said, that's going to come back later and haunt you. So while that's happening, while the streams of water called time are washing over my people, I will have the river of Elah washing over five stones. I will have the streams of time grooming and growing people. It will be growing a group of people called the Philistines. It will be growing and grooming a Goliath and a David and Orpah and a Ruth and Naomi, a Boaz. All of these people will be groomed and growing. And to take care of the blood issue in the future, I'll have the sediment that will be rolling in the stream, carving away at the rough edges of a stone. That stone will fly someday. The one that nobody's looking at. The one that everyone's ignoring. The unnamed yet crucial. The not beautiful but powerful stone will be trimmed by time. It'll be polished for its purpose. From the moment Joshua left a remnant of giants in Gath, these waters of that brook was preparing a stone to do a work later in the future, all because of time. A stone, a river stone does not get its shape because it was born that way. It gets it because a stream, unrelentless and faithful, rolls over it day after day. And within the water, it collects small parcels of sand and sediment from upstream. And it begins to carve away at rough edges, preparing stones and making them look as polished as they are. David was clearly skilled with a sling, so that tells me he didn't merely grab five random stones. This was a man who was so sharp with his sling. He was so skilled with it. This was not his first time. He walked by and he went to the river Elah, where in the past Goliath would be skipping stones. Little did Goliath know that one of those stones he would skip would someday fly towards him. And David would walk past the very river that was connected to Gath and he would stop and he would say, nope, not that one. I'm skilled with the sling. I know what stones are going to fly best. No, not that one. Not that one. There's a good one. And he puts it into his pouch. He goes, let's see. I need another one. There are five cities connected. Gath is one of them. I need five stones. There are five giants. I need five stones. Not just any stones. Not just random stones. I'm not just looking at anything random. I need the ones that will fly best. And I know because I'm skilled with them. Will the stone land in the hand of a redeemer is the question. The stone's greatest asset would be the fact that it could not choose its own will. The greatest enemy would not be Goliath. It was time. Time is the greatest enemy. Because just as time can polish the stone, it can also make it dull to its purpose. If the stone could speak, it would say, why have I been left here for 400 years? What's the purpose of being in this random river? Why not choose me for the Jordan that was parted? Why Elah? 
Why am I here if the stone could speak? But its greatest assets is the stones have no will. They are there waiting for a David to grab them. The strongest asset, where's the Redeemer? Will I be in his hand? That's what the stone waits for. The interesting thing about the word stone, which in Hebrew is Ivan, it is a compound word. It's made up of two Hebrew words put together. It blew my mind when I read this and I learned the Hebrew phrase. Ivan is the made up of two words, father and son. When you take the word father, which is Ava, and you put it with the word son, which is Ben, it becomes the word Ivan, which is stone. There was two things that were merged together, father and son, and its identity was merged into a stone. And this takes on a whole new meaning when we get to Matthew 21, 42, where Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. Is it marvelous in your eyes? He looked at them and he said, I have been polished for this moment. I am the father and I am the son. I am the stone which the builders rejected. You've been frustrated by delay, but here I am. You've been frustrated by the 300 years of silence with no prophetic word. But here I am, the Father and the Son. I am the first. I am the last. I am the stone. Everything you need is in me. And just like the stone took down a giant that was wanting to enslave a nation of free people that was left as a remnant that should have been destroyed, so am I here for the same reason. I am the stone, he would say. I will be put into a sling called a cross and I will annihilate a giant called death. He was the chief cornerstone. And he makes this statement to the Pharisees in Luke 19, verse 39. Some of the Pharisees call to him from the crowd. Just moments before the stone is put into the sling called the cross. These were the days before. He goes into Bethany already victorious by faith. He already knew, I'm going to ride in as a king. I haven't even been crowned yet, but I'm already king. That's the same way he'll return with a quiver with no arrows because the shots have already been fired. He didn't have to put on a crown. He was already king. He doesn't have to fire a shot. He's already won. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would cry out. He does not use the Greek word. Petros right there, which is random stone. He uses the Greek word lithos, which is polished stone. And this is what he does. He says, there are just random pebbles out there that have lost their, they're dulled by the time. And I'm looking at some of them right now. The Pharisees are frustrated at the praises that are going forth. You've been dulled by my delay. But if these won't praise me, I've got some polished stones I'm going to go and collect. That time polished them. It did not dull them. Time, the greatest enemy of all of us, prepared them for this moment. House of Israel, if you won't praise me, I've got Gentiles that will. Hear me. 
David had an entire riverbed full of stones and yet he looked and said, oh, these have been polished for such a time as this. These are the ones that I'll use to take down an adversary. I only need one for Goliath, but I'm going to grab five. What were the other four used for in this last hour? Why would he grab five if he only threw one? You're going to find a lot of speculation. You're going to find a lot of differing opinions. You're going to find a lot of things that theologians say. They're going to say that David didn't really have faith and he was a little leery of his own aim. I don't agree with that because the context does not allude to him not having faith. It seemed that he was a young man who was around 15 years old who was absolutely eat up with the fact that God could. I don't believe that if you read close enough in the context. But I believe that there was in his mind, there is more than one city connected to Gath. There are a total of four cities connected to Gath. And Goliath has four other brothers. If they don't run, I will be ready. There were stones prepared for their hour. Jesus would contrast the dull stones against polished stones. He would look at the Pharisees and say, you've been dulled by the time. But I've got a whole group of people who have been polished for this time. They are in the hands of a redeemer. I will be the first stone. I will take down the giant that none of you will. I will take down death. But I need someone to follow me to take care of the rest of the cities. I need someone to follow me that will take care of the rest of the giants. These polished stones would ask a very important question in Matthew 24, verse 3. They said, now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And to which he responds, but on that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of son of man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. They were going about life as normal. Everything continues as it were, because this is what the Bible said. He says, I've seen the sin of man. I'm going to give him 120 years to get it right. And 120 years polishes eight. But it dulls the rest because 120 years was their greatest enemy, not the flood. 120 years. We've not seen rain. Things go on as usual. So we'll just continue life as normal. And Jesus says there's coming an hour in which I'll delay. And so it is. So it was as the days of Noah. So will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. There will be people in the last hour, he says, that will be polished for that time. But unfortunately, others will be dulled by my delay. And I travel constantly. This is my 125th service this year. I've been in a lot of church services, and I see a line right down the middle of every congregation. Those that are dulled and those that are saying, today could be the day. Right now could be the moment. Today could be the day that God comes back. And I've had this conviction come over me. I was awakened at 6.30 in the morning two days ago and I woke up and God spoke to me. He said, I'm coming soon. 
He said, you tell my people who are dulled by my delay to ready themselves, to prepare themselves, and to find themselves ready and polished for their purpose. What God has designed you for was not just to give to the world. I get frustrated because I see sharks on shark tanks who would make amazing apostles, who could build incredible kingdoms. But they've given it to the world to build earthly kingdoms. I look at fighters who are on TV and I look at them and I say, you would make a phenomenal prayer warrior and you would annihilate the gates of hell because you were hardwired to fight, but you've been dulled and you haven't been prepared. And yes, I even see it in the church where I see people who are naturally gifted to do things for this hour where the time and sediment, you see the time is the same. It's the sediment that's different for everybody else. The death that took place in your life will either polish you or dull you. Yesterday for my wife and I, we had to sit down and grieve and remember that yesterday makes four years that my baby boy Levi passed away. Yesterday was the date that we had to sit down. And you know what we chose to do? We did not weep. I told my wife, I said, we will have joy and we will cast our cares. We will not forget our son. We will still weep, but they will be tears of expectation. And I grabbed my wife and I said, today could be the day that we go to heaven and we're reunited with what we lost. Today could be the day. We're closer than we've ever been. I cannot be dulled by his delay. I cannot be frustrated that four years have elapsed. I must continue to be polished. You see, the sediment of loss has polished away at some rough edges in me and it has prepared me for this very hour. I am in a place in my life at 35 years old where I'm not concerned with how radical you think I am because what else can you do? to me. I am not concerned with paychecks. I'm not concerned with people's thoughts towards me. I am absolutely eat up and consumed with a rapture. I will say what needs to be said. I will do what needs to be done because my eyes have been fixed on a heavenly place. The sediment may look different for you that is flowing through time that polishes you. You may not lose something. You may not lose a loved one, but everybody will be polished or dulled. Your death to self will determine if you're in the hands of a redeemer or if you're sitting in a riverbed. The greatest asset to a polished stone, which is what Jesus called us, is am I dead to self? That's my greatest asset. Stones don't get choices. We get polished. He tells them, he said, in the days of Noah, there were those that were dulled because of 120 years, but there was one who found favor. The interesting thing about Noah's name is it means rest in Hebrew. And the word favor, where it said Noah found favor, is the word for grace. And rest found grace. In 120 years, there was a man who named Rest who said, I will be faithful to you. God, what do you want me to do? In 120 years, I'm sending rain and I'm going to pull you out of the water. And you will be in my hand. The rest will stay in the river though. 
because they'll be dulled by the delay. And don't get frustrated at God because he's a judgment God who sends rivers of floods. Don't get mad at him because the text doesn't pay attention to the flood. It pays more attention to the salvation. That's why more details are given to an ark than there are to a flood. He wants us to be aware of a judgment, but he wants us to say there is something greater. And I believe 100% that this is why the author of Hebrews 2.11 says this. He said, pay attention lest you drift away. How can we ignore so great a salvation? We have been given the greatest gospel on this planet through the death to ourselves. I am not my own. God, I'm going to be plucked from a baptismal tank of water. Pull me out through baptism and pull me into your hand. Fill me with your spirit. I want to be in the hands of a redeemer. Polish me and prepare me for the end times. But here's the contrast. Jesus begins to contrast them. He says, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken. Here's the contrast. One's going to be left. Two women will be grinding at the meal. One will be taken. One's going to be in the hand of a redeemer. One's going to be left. This was not a point of arrogance for Jesus. I believe that as he told this story, a lump would swell up in his throat and he would say, this is not what I want. I want to tell you more time. I have to tell you about the judgments, but let me spend time on the salvation. I'll show you the intricacies of salvation so that you don't miss it. Please don't drift away. Watch, therefore, for you don't know in what hour the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you be ready. And Jesus would transition out of this, and he would give us three parables, and he would contrast yet again. Five wise... Five fools, five ready, five not. And he would say, that parable doesn't resonate. Maybe this one will. In the last hour, there will be those that have talents. They've been given gifts. One didn't use them. The others did. That parable doesn't resonate with you. How about this one? All in context. There will be goats and there will be sheep. There will be those that are polished and those that are dulled. The sheep will go to those that are hurting and say, here, you're naked, let me put some clothes on you. Here, you're in prison, prison, let me visit you. You're hungry, let me feed you. That's what they'll be doing. The ones that are polished in the end time hour will look like the first stone, Jesus. I have to analyze how that first stone looked. And I have to follow that chief cornerstone. If he died, so should I. If he took up a cross, so should I. If he washed feet, so should I. If he woke up and prayed, so should I. If he laid hands on people and they were healed, so should I. If he looked at people and said, don't go sin anymore, I should say the same thing. If he looked at Pharisees and said, don't cast stones, so should I. That's what stones do. The question is, though, Has the son been so merged in with the father that we no longer look like what we used to look like? If you're a stone, then you've become one with the father. If you're truly a stone, 
David defeated Goliath and the Philistines retreated. But the reality was that Goliath had four other brothers, which is why the rest of the Bible is so intricately written. First Chronicles 12 said this. Now these were the men who came to David at Ziklag while he was still a fugitive from Saul, the son of Kish. And they were among the mighty men, helpers in the war. David said, here, I got five stones. This one's for Goliath. But I'm going to need some more. I'm going to need some helpers. There's five cities. There's five giants. I need some helpers for the war. Verse 2, they were armed with bows using both the right hand and the left hand in hurling stones and shooting arrows with the bow. They were of Benjamin. If you know about Benjamin, the Bible said they were so skilled with a slingshot that they could hit a hair. He said, these that I'm calling will be from the tribe of the Benjamites. I will have some skilled with stones that will come. David took down the first, but there are still others. Jesus conquered hell, but their hell is still here. He disarmed principalities, according to Colossians 2.15, and made a public spectacle of them, hanging them on the cross. But principalities are still here. Demonic forces are still here. He threw the stone himself, and he conquered death, and he said, but I need helpers in war. Are you polished for the warfare? Or are you dulled because of my delay? The five fools in his parable fell asleep because he was delayed. The one who gave his, his talent away did it because the master was delayed. This is always going to be the case. Time is our enemy. The principalities have been defeated. The land has been promised. The end time harvest has been revealed and I feel a prophetic anointing on me tonight to tell you that everything God has wanted to put on us is already on us. It is in us. If you have been baptized in His name, if you have been filled with His Spirit, then you have everything within you that you need for this end time. The adversary is not the problem. It is the delay of the Father and it is the time that is going to dull us if we are not watching, if we are not sober, if we are not vigilant. I think it interesting that a stone that fell asleep in the garden would later write, his name would be Peter, he would look at some men in the church and he would say, know ye not that ye are lively stones. I fell asleep and he came and woke me up. I was dulled by his delay, but he came and said, please don't fall asleep in this last hour. Do you see what the stone is doing? Come on, Peter, I've called you. You are the rock after all, Peter. And Peter would wake up and he would say, I was the rock and upon this rock he built his church. I preached the gospel. I am the stone. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to follow the chief cornerstone and I'm going to be a helper in the war. I will not be dulled by his delay. This man would be a prayer man. He would be a spiritual man and listen to what he would speak as a stone to a congregation of stones in Second Peter 
3. He said, Beloved, I now write to you this second time in which, in both of which I'm trying to stir up in you pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken by the old holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, scoffers are going to come in the last days walking according to their own lust and saying, where's the promise of his coming? Hear this. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. Those are dulled by delay. And this is what he says. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth was standing out of water and in water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. God created the world from water so he used water to destroy it. He would later create the kingdom with fire. So what would he use to destroy it? I'll never destroy the earth with water. That was the old one. But the new one I created with fire. I will send fiery judgment on the new creation. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness. He is long suffering and he is giving us time to repent. That's the point of the delay. That's the reason time is our greatest enemy but if we pay attention to the delay we'll see that it's actually God's grace looking for rest it's God's delay that's giving us time to repent what we should do is wake up in this end time hour let's not get caught up with anti-vax or vax let's not get caught up in mask or no mask let's not get caught up in the politics of our world let's not get dulled but let us wake up every single day and say you know what today could be the rapture musicians come brother Neelan I've been waking up every day and I've been coming and I've been finding my wife and I've been putting my arm around her and I say babe today could be the day this could be the moment Every time I climb into a pulpit now, I say, tomorrow could be the day where are the souls at that need to hear the gospel. I told my wife the other night, we've got, we've got three babies. It's hectic in our house. Sunday, I took a rest. I didn't preach anywhere. I just went to church and I wanted to be fed for a day because my whole life is not revolving around me being the preacher. And so I took a day to go rest and I sat there and my wife had to leave. And it was a Sunday where the pastor was praying over the congregation. He said, bring your family around. Let's pray for our families. And my family wasn't in the room and I got frustrated. And then it hit me. I said, no, tonight we'll pray. I gather my kids in. I bring my kids around and I grab my wife and we pray together. And we pray this prayer, God, let us live with a constant awareness that in any moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the trumpet could sound anytime. I don't say this. I don't believe in scaring people. I believe in making people aware. God did not come up to a man named Rest and make him scared. He made him aware. I'm not here to make you aware to scare you. I'm here to make you aware to prepare you. There is a difference 
I want to be polished for purpose. I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to say, why me, God? I want to say, God, all of this was preparation. The sediment of time polished away some rough edges, and it made me what I was for now. And so what I wonder right now, fathers, husbands, you don't have children, would you grab your spouse's hand? Would you grab them? And would you begin to commit yourself and say, we're going to live like any moment. We're not going to be those. At any moment, the thief could break in. This house will be awake and ready. We're going to be prepared. Husbands, would you grab your wife's hands? If you're not married, if you're single, would you lift up your hands and say, God, I'm going to prepare myself every single day. Would some people in this room begin to pray a fervent prayer at any moment Lord you could return I want to be polished for this hour God has been preparing you you hear me very closely right now TPC you hear me very closely if God wanted to put you in the stream of 1937 he would have put you there Why did he put you in this year? Why did he allow you to be alive in 2021 going into 22? Pastor Leland, I have this conviction that he looked at stones and he said, you will be polished for a pandemic. You will be polished for social unrest. You will be polished for the problems that will come upon the end times. You'll be the stones for the last hours. You are the ones upon whom I will return. I'm going to trust you with the last hours. I trusted you. I'm skilled with stones, he would say. In fact, the word carpenter in Greek is better known as mason man. Jesus was more likely to be a bricklayer. And so Jesus was skilled with carving stones. And like David, he would walk up and say, "Uh, you've been dulled. I would love to use you. I put you here for such a time as this. But the sediment eroded at you did not polish you. You did not let it because you were too alive. You, the healing of a pandemic is in you. You will lay hands on everyone who has COVID and they'll be healed. You will prophesy. You will preach repentance in high school. You will lay hands on someone with cancer. You're the ones I trusted in the last hour. The greatest enemy will be time. Give it time. What you don't kill now will turn into a giant. But I'll tell you what, the Holloway home has made up our minds. The sediment that washed over us four years ago, it was gritty, it was bitter, frustrating, it provoked anger, it polished away some things I didn't think should have been polished away. What is it producing, God? Put me in the hands of a masonry man. Sling me anywhere you want to throw me, God. Send me to any church you want me to go to. Whatever words you put in my mouth, I'll say it. 
Whatever spirits you put on me, I'll walk in it. God, my greatest asset is I am not my own anymore. So this is the altar call right here. I want you to stand. In a room full of stones that God trusted in the riverbed of the end times. A redeemer is walking through this room right now and he's looking and he's saying, that one will fly. That one will fly. Oh, that one, that one's good. I'm skilled. I know what I'm looking for. Will you fly? Will you be like Noah and rise above? Or will you stay in the water? That's going to be all depending on how you handled the river of time. Did it polish you? Or did it dull you? What gifts are in you? That's for God, not you. That's for the end time hour, not to build a business. If you build a business, glory to God. If God has given you entrepreneurial skills and you've built a business here in this earth, glory to God. But he's also using that to bless the kingdom. He's also using that for you to apostle into a workplace. He's using that business to witness to the lost. If you're a fighter, he's using that. If you're timid, he's using that. If you're quiet, he's using that. Give it to God. Stones, lift your hands. These altars are wide open. I wonder if you would just imagine God picking up each of you like a stone and hurling you into an altar right now, throwing you at the front of this building as those who are saying, God, pick me up, use me. Hurricanes was just sediment in the water polishing. That's all it was. It can polish you or dull you. Now as lively stones in the hand of a redeemer, would you lift up your voice and say, God, at any moment you can come and take us up. You can call us up. So Lord, pour in me a passion for the end time hour. Let me preach this gospel to every soul that will hear it. Tomorrow, let me look through a fresh set of eyes into a world that might die lost unless I open my mouth. God, let me preach like I've never preached. I'm not a preacher. I may never stand in a pulpit. But God, let me be a living stone in the city of De Quincey. God, let me be a testimony to my family that's lost. In fact, I feel this appropriate. Music. Choirs, singers, thank you, Pastor, for opening up the way you did. There is a voice in all of you right now. Stones must cry out. So I'm going to provoke you, and I'm going to pull on you as living stones. Would you lift up holy hands right now? All across this room. Stones, be not silent. 
Let the adversary hear the humming of a stone in a sling of a redeemer. Come on, if you're a guest, you're a new convert, this may feel odd, this may seem strange. It's always felt that way. It's always seemed that way. It always feels that way until you participate. Would you lift up a voice? You may not have the words, but you can say, God, I love you. I need you. I want to be in your hand. Whatever you do, cry out. Stones must cry out. Barrendo lo boco sata la barrende yara la baja.